front page of the uh, Brisbane Courier Mail, I alluded to this a little bit earlier. It says, owners warned after fatal fire charge. This is the postscript to that dreadful fire at Russell Island. Now, it says that Queensland's more than 600,000 landlords have been warned they could face criminal charges if they ignore the state's tough smoke alarm laws. Uh, the owner of the Russell Island home that burnt to the ground, killing six people, has been charged. Now, this involves uh, Donna Rose Beadle uh, who, from Tweed Heads. Uh, it's now reported that she's been issued a notice to appear in court for allegedly failing to install smoke alarms. Now, the fire was in August of last year. It was a dreadful, dreadful tragedy where six people uh, lost their lives. Uh, the grandmother of the Russell Island house fire victim yesterday claimed her daughter had asked her landline to fix the smoke alarms three times before the tragic blaze. So police have been investigating all of this. And as I say, uh, it's not in relation to the deaths of the people directly, but what they are saying is that uh, she's been charged with this offence of not installing a smoke alarm. And they are spelling out very clearly that, first of all, it's your responsibility as the landlord to install the smoke alarms and that they need to be up to date. And if they're older than 10 years, then you need to do something about that as well. So that's across the front page of the Brisbane Courier-Mail tomorrow. They've also got the ongoing crisis in the Queensland Police Department. It says, thinning the blue line, Queensland Police Services failing to recruit enough officers to keep pace with the state's population growth. Amid new revelations, two-thirds of bail objections made by police were ignored by magistrates. Uh, figures reveal a per capita decline in the number of sworn operational police officers since Labor was elected in 2015, while at the same time rates of offending for serious offences have soared. So it's the police crisis, the crime crisis, all of that on the front page of tomorrow's Brisbane Courier-Mail. Uh, the Sydney Daily Telegraph, they've got Taylor Swift across their front page. Swift hits the town. Tay-Tay is well and truly out of hiding. They've got pictures and a lot more detail there. She's actually been not just at Aquil Stadium today, she's also been uh, at the zoo at Western Sydney as well. So I'm sure someone's going to be maybe even interviewing one of the animals tomorrow about what it was like to meet Taylor Swift. But their, their front page main story spins off this series they've been running about the gangland wars in Sydney, remembering that as they've been reporting this and as people are expressing concern about the ongoing gangland wars, we had that situation we reported last night where someone's gone into a gym, has fired a, a series of shots, uh, escaped on a motorbike. Now, the bike's been found uh, burnt out. They still haven't been able to find who was responsible. Now, the shots were fired in the gym. No one was hurt, so... You can perhaps draw a presumption that was sending some sort of a warning, but the weird part of it is next to a police station, all of this happened. So the front page story of The Telegraph, crippling cost of Sydney's gang war. I'm not sure how you can necessarily come up with this number, but it says billions in blood. Fighting Sydney's gang war is costing the state billions. This is uh, Premier Chris Minns. He was questioned about this in Parliament today on a range of issues he was being quizzed today um, in one of the parliamentary uh, inquiries. This is the budget estimates. So they have the budget estimates committees and the Premier fronts up and MPs can ask questions. 
So he's asked questions about a whole range of things. The legalised cannabis MP, now Jeremy Buckingham, he was suggesting that, well, if you legalise cannabis, then you wouldn't be having a lot of police resources engaged in dealing with the cannabis issue. You could then deal with issues such as cocaine and meth and the other drugs that are awash in Sydney. So anyway, he was suggesting it's costing billions. The Premier grilled over these executions and the ongoing gangland war, which doesn't show any signs of abating. That's the front page of the Telegraph. Sydney Morning Herald. Now, this is an interesting one because we had that conversation for a couple of weeks over the right to disconnect. There's also an ongoing conversation for people who work in offices largely or, or workplaces about working from home. I was actually staggered a couple of weeks ago to find how many members of the public service actually working from home. And a huge proportion of those who work in the Industrial Relations Department in Canberra are actually working from home. So this story says, work at home for millions in the spotlight. The right to work from home will be the next frontline debate over changes to industry awards under a review instigated by Tony Burke, the Workplace Relations Minister. The Fair Work Commission's investigating whether it needs to change the basic rights for up to about 2.2 million Australians on awards to accommodate the working arrangement which took off during the pandemic. If the Commission finds the awards should include working from home rights, several million other workers on enterprise agreements could also push for the same flexibility in negotiations. Commission wants unions and businesses to weigh in on working from home as it examines ways to improve conditions for people with caring responsibilities, while corporations attempt to reverse the office drain by requiring employees to return to the workplace. For some, the increase in opportunities to work remotely has expanded employment opportunities, reduced time spent commuting, and provided more flexibility to balance work and caring responsibilities. There's there's something, I look at that, the time you spent travelling to and from work, the notion that if people can do work at home, then you're taking a lot of people off the roads, uh, and also that caring issue where someone mightn't necessarily be a full-time carer and that's all they do, but they may need to be there for someone. And so if they can do their work, even part-time work, and be there for someone and they don't have to travel to a workplace, there's some logic to all of that. So I, I can understand why the Workplace uh, Fair Work Commission is looking at it. You can understand why there's a need for it, but you've got to do it in a way that uh, doesn't hobble productivity. And I'll get to the issue of productivity in just a moment, but the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald also has uh, this story here. There's there's three um, there's three young Taylor Swift fans uh, pictured on the front page of the Herald. They're just outside the Accor Stadium at Homebush. They're wearing Taylor Swift uh, T-shirts, and there's three of them, and I'm counting one, two... Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight bulging bags of gear. Now, Peter Ford was telling us earlier that a t shirt's 60 bucks. A tote bag, you reckon, was what, 70 or 80 bucks? Was it 50 or 60 for a tote bag? But if it's a t shirt of 60 bucks, I reckon each of those bags has got a couple of hundred, hundred bucks worth of gear at least in there. The hoodies are over 100, aren't they? The branded hoodies. So they've spent a lot of money there. They might have done it for friends or for family, but there's a lot of money in those bags as they stand there. And behind them, uh, there is this huge queue of people queuing up to buy just the merchandise. Head of the concerts on Friday, the headline they have is, look what you made us do. So is that it? 
what look what you what Taylor Swift has made them do. So they've gone off there. The buying power of her faithful legions has been underlined as thousands of fans rush for concert merchandise ahead of her Sydney shows and all of that details in there. They've got Chris Minns also saying today, the New South Wales Premier, that the uh, cha- the the plan to essentially sell Rose Hill race race course to developers to provide 25,000 homes on that side of Rose Hill Racecourse where there'd be an extra rapid transit metro station. So you'd be in town in, what, uh, 20 minutes on the metro from Rose Hill and it'd be on the doorstep of this new suburb. And the idea is that it would generate many billions of dollars for the Australian Turf Club that owns the site and it could use that money to support racing, upgrade other facilities and build a new racetrack. But it is up to the members of the ATC to vote on this and it's struck pretty strong opposition from Gay Waterhouse, Chris Waller and others, so he's acknowledged it might not happen because it was actually put to the government. It wasn't a government idea. It was put to it by Racing New South Wales. And they've got this other one on their front page as well. And I've been surprised tonight to find the number of people who I know who are following Formula One car racing where they're doing the the trials tonight, the, the, the testing of the cars that's being televised I've got Clinton Maynard's locked himself into a room watching it all night. Trent Nicklich is watching it. And I've just discovered my producer, Charlie, he's watching it as well. So I asked him about a story on the front page of the Herald about a company called Stake.com. Now, this is a a casino and sports betting, betting site founded by Australia's youngest billionaire. It's actually sponsoring one of the cars in Formula One, and that would not come cheap at all. But the story says... An online casino and sports betting site founded by Australia's youngest billionaire has been accused of operating unlicensed, exploiting players' addictions and dismissing a report of betting on fixed matches, a Herald investigation reveals. A new court claim against the betting giant includes chat messages allegedly showing stake staff offering bonuses to gamblers who said they're out of control or wanted to quit. This thing's been going since 2017. Uh, its Sydney-born co-founder, 28-year-old Edward Craven, has amassed a $3.1 billion fortune, presumably from people losing money on his website. That's how that's how gambling works. Uh, it's eyeing a sports betting licence in Australia. It can't legally offer gambling in Australia. It applies geoblocks to users trying to log on. Uh, but... Uh, it's uh, operating in other parts of the world, and I'm right. I think it is sponsoring one of the one of those cars um, in the Formula One, and apparently there's the Visa Cash app, Red Bull's second team as well. So that's one of the other sponsorships. But this is a betting app or betting site, uh, which is quite controversial. Uh, and there it is on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald, the Australian newspaper. Now I mentioned a moment ago productivity. They're saying that wage growth accelerated to a 15-year high through 2023, bringing an end to nearly three years of real pay cuts for workers, but sparking fears among employers and economists that the rises are not sustainable, given the nation's abject productivity performance. Now, remember, one of the things that was promised by Anthony Albanese was that they'd, they'd lift the rates of pay. Well, it seems that's happened in 2023, but if the rates of pay go up, and you're not actually seeing commensurate or more increases in productivity, there's a problem. And that's all part of that story there. Wage surge warnings will all pay. And there's a comment here saying, about as good as it gets for wage growth in an economy cooling its jets, it says uh, for a little while at least, wages growth at about 4%. 
and inflation means that workers are finally getting real wage increases, but the danger then is that it could all come tumbling down. So that's on the front page of The Australian. They've also got The Australian and The Financial Review. They've both got coverage of the Brad Banducci departure uh, from Woolworths. They've all both used the uh, headline of going off to the Woolies checkout and coverage of all of that. Uh, and this is a, a fascinating one also with that by-election coming up on March the 2nd in Dunkley. It'll be a test because we know that uh, GetUp has been involved and has been very active in elections around the country. This conservative organisation, Advance, now it has uh, road-tested its political muscle during the uh, referendum last year and it's now operating on the ground in Dunkley to see whether it can change the local outcome and change some of the dynamics at the next federal election. So there'll be a lot of examination of what advance does and how effective it is on the ground in Dunkley. And if that's the case, it could be trying to broaden its reach and do what GetUp does all over the country. So that's all on the front page of The Australian from Simon Benson. And given that we spent last year, so much of last year, talking about problems in Indigenous communities... Uh, the Australian newspaper also has the Labor MP, Marion Scrimgore, who is saying, and she represents Alice Springs, says youth justice laws need to stop treating criminal minors as little angels and start applying tough love to lawless children. In an extraordinary intervention against her own party's handling of the Northern Territory youth crisis, she says authorities need to stop pussyfooting around on juveniles, that the decision to raise the age of criminal responsibility is not working, and it's time for parents to be held accountable for their children's actions. So this is across the front page of The Australian. We did this story some weeks ago and made the point that crime was on the rise again. It, 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 nothing had really changed in Alice Springs, the Northern Territory, from when everyone was up there and the whole country was watching on what was going on and politicians were going through like a conga line. Well, this is now getting some attention. She said that. It's on the front page of The Australian, whether... Anyone who follows through with that, we will know. And I'll just mention one other, because I touched yesterday on this interview that Paul Keating's given the Financial Review. And he did, in the interview that appeared in yesterday's Financial Review, uh, make the comment, and I'm not sure there's any great wisdom involved in this, because if you listen to our program last year, uh, from about January of last year, the referendum was never going to get up, because you, you were never going to get it up as a, uh, as a change to the Constitution that what always needed to be done, and even Peter Dutton was saying this, legislate the voice, get it up and running, see how it works, and then ask people to put it in the Constitution. It was never going to work the reverse way, and that's what Paul Keating has said in the interview, and you've got the Indigenous leader, Marcia Langton, say he was right. It was a mistake from the start to put it up as a change to the Constitution. That was obvious from the very first poll uh, last January, and it's been now given some voice by Paul Keating. But of course, unless you've got a time machine, uh, not much point in saying it now. One three one eight seven three is the number. That's some of things people, some of the things that people will be talking about tomorrow.